This is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 72. I'm your host, Joel Amazon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is Sarah Soonling Blackburn. Now, uh, before I get into Sarah Soonling Blackburn and, and jump into the conversation, which is an awesome conversation, I'm so excited to share it with you. This is just another example of why, about getting better at teaching is about doing things together, right? I remember sometimes that the when just beginning as a teacher, one of the things I wanted to do was just close my door and just figure things out for myself. And the more I did that, the worse I was as a teacher. But it was when I opened my door, I walked down the hallway and talked with other teachers or had the meetings and thought about problems together that we were able to figure things out. It's like solidarity and solidarity is a theme we'll talk about within this episode. And so thinking about things together and growing together and learning together is what made me a better teacher back when I was teaching high school math and now what I'm teaching teachers at the University of Mississippi. But also, too, in thinking about this podcast, it started off being myself in a closet talking into a recorder about a book I read, which was great. And I got to share it with people that I hoped would eventually listen to it, but it wasn't a lot, but that's okay. And it, the podcast got better when it said, you know what, let's have conversations with other people about these books or these topics and just started doing that. But then now it's kind of getting to the place where there's a community of people that are listening and all of a sudden they know what the podcast is about, about learning how to teach better. And then there comes a recommendation. So today's guest is a recommendation of a listener, Dr. Christy Livingston, not only a listener, she's a guest. She's also a guest. We'll put a link to her episode in the, in the show notes, but Christy reached out and said, Hey, have, you should have Dr. Sarah Suling Blackburn on. I think she's got some things to share that would be a great thing for your listeners to hear about, for you to learn about. And guess what? She's right. <laughs> this was an awesome conversation. And I'm excited to um, excited to share her, her work and her expertise. She, her work focuses on identity, diversity, and justice with an emphasis on race and ethnicity. And so you're going to hear, we're going to use one of her articles about the model minority myth to kind of focus our conversation, but we're going to talk about a couple of other things, kind of a flowing conversation. Again, that's kind of what we do, right? We have a conversation that it's almost like you as a listener are kind of sitting at the table with us as we're talking about some things about teaching. We get to learn and get better, and that's what all we're trying to do here. So I'm not going to delay anymore. There's going to be lots of links and things to share. I was going to actually delay, <laughs> uh, delay sharing this episode for two weeks because I'm trying to have a summer, but you know what? There's some things that are timely in there here that you can access in the month of May. So I want to put it out there and we'll put links to everything that you can access in the show notes, which will be at amnonplanet.com forward slash episode 72. So go there, look for all the things. There, there's uh, some free stuff that's available just for the month of May um, as we uh, celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We want to make sure that uh, you can take advantage of those uh, resources. So they'll be there. And yeah, just sit back and listen and learn uh, with this conversation with Dr. Sarah Suling Blackburn. Sarah Suling Blackburn, thank you for joining me on the Amazon Planet podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, and, uh, like we were just saying right before uh, the podcast, where we're at, the uh, summer has just began. And so I guess yes. it's like <laughs> the temperature is uh, flowing into the little recording closet where I'm at <laughs> right now. But but again, uh, on a beautiful day, thank you for stepping inside in, in order to uh, have this conversation. It is my pleasure. My favorite things to talk about are teaching mm -hmm. and learning. And so this is just great to be here. Well, that, that's, you're on the right podcast. So we love to learn how to teach better. Fantastic. And so could you give just a little uh, self-introduction about who you are and what you do? 
Sure. So I'm Sarah Swindling Blackburn. Sarah is great for this conversation. Um, I'm an educator. I'm a speaker. I write, do lots of different things. But, you know, my main focus is on inclusion and belonging. So just in general, right, we know that kids learn better. They do better when they feel like they're seen at school, when they feel like they can be themselves, when they feel safe, when they feel like what they're learning is actually relevant to their lives. And it's all of those parts. You know, we talk about the art and science of teaching. It's um, the parts of that art and science that are related to classroom culture, learning environments, the conditions that allow for great outcomes to happen for kids. So I started as a classroom teacher um, and then worked for many, many years as a teacher coach, still do that quite a bit, um, and generally support educators and others in creating more inclusive learning environments. Fantastic. I want to jump back to what you just said before about the yeah. idea of inclusion inclusion and belonging. And, and I'm thinking about the and it, I'm going to remember the professor. I'm going to go back. It was uh, someone that I knew from Alice Udvari Solner, who was a big, uh, my big influence back up in uh, Wisconsin, Norman Cook. There we go. Norman Cook. And he would talk about the inversion sometimes of the, um, and now I'm, uh, the hierarchy of needs. There we mm -hmm. go. Uh, th um, th we're, this is going to be a full citation list when we get there, <laughs> get done with this podcast, but thinking about the inversion of the hierarchy of needs where sometimes in classrooms, in order to sometimes sometimes it's put out there that in, before inclusion and belonging happen, there needs to be performance, right? That like I need to show that I can do things, and then oh yeah, now you can belong in the class. Versus like what you just emphasize and what is true is like no, you need to feel like you are a part of the place. You need to feel included. You feel feel like you can access the space, and then there's the opportunity to, like you said, access student uh, better student outcomes and better things that happen in the classroom. I don't know. I just, that just yeah. maybe prompt that up. No, I, I think that that's brilliant. I, so I was a trained high school English teacher. That's what I did in undergrad. Mm. And I was teaching high school English in Philadelphia, PA. And then when I moved to the deep South, the district I moved to in the Delta, um, they needed a fourth grade teacher. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know anything about <laughs> teaching fourth grade. I don't know the content. I know how to teach like high school English. I don't know anything about fourth grade math, for example. So my theory was, okay, what I do know is classroom culture. And if mm -hmm. I can do that really well, then maybe my kids can, you know, fill in the gaps that I don't have with the content knowledge right. and I'll, I'll start to fill those in for myself. And that worked. And it's kind of was this like discovery of stumbling into that in my own classroom and then figuring out how to replicate that in general and realizing that, of course, it, what it means to be included or belong doesn't look the same for all kids. Mm -hmm. So it kind of made me go back into my own history, like as an Asian American person, when were the times that I felt included? When were the times I didn't? How much did that have to do with identity versus like mm -hmm. personality? And kind of down this entire rabbit hole of curiosity about um, what does it actually mean to belong at school? Yeah. And how do we support educators in creating environments where all kids can feel like they can be them themselves and that who they are is just a wonderful thing. Right. And I, and I love how you, your approach to <laughs> thrown into the fourth grade pool was thinking about what, what assets, not only that you have, but then also assuming competence for your students and, and, and leaning on the assets that they have as well. And like that asset-based perspective of, of who we are as teachers and what, what, what we can access within the classroom. I was like, you know, not just like it had to be all on you and all on you as a teacher-centric classroom. Obviously that, that didn't sound like that was the case. 
That's the hope at least, right? I'm sure. I mean, there are always plenty of stumbles and mistakes, but. Oh yeah, yeah, um, definitely. You know, when I I agree, I think that often as educators, we're very hard on ourselves and that's good, right? We do Mm -hmm. need to improve. We need to be aware of our um, areas of growth. And sometimes we over focus on those without recognizing that we have strengths that we bring to the table that we can lean on. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like a building, you know, when there's a, one wall that's a little bit weaker. We don't just like tear everything down to fix that wall. We rely on the walls that are strong as we're putting up scaffolding and supports as we're like making that other um, piece of the foundation strong so that the roof can continue to stay up the whole time that we're going. I like that metaphor. I like it a lot. (laughs) And I'm going to encourage folks that if, and we'll put a bunch, you know, there's a, you have a ton of work out there, but we're going to put a, definitely put a link to your website. um, Oh, thanks. uh, because of all the different stuff that you were talking to. And so like trying to have this convert or trying to wanted to have a conversation with you and thinking like, well, what's something we can focus on? And I saw your, um, your article about the model minority myth and wanted to, you know, just address that and, and think about like, well, what is that work and how do we go about it? Um, how do go, how do we go about addressing it and being active on it within the classroom, right. As teachers. And so, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. I was going to say, well, just let's go for it right here. Well, what is the model minority myth? Yeah. So the model minority myth is a stereotype that um, mostly in today's context in the United States in particular, and most parts of the Western world is focused on Asian, Asian American students, particularly East and South Asian groups. And it's this idea that these are people who are more of like, quote unquote, desirable marginalized or minoritized communities. Um, You know, the idea that like, oh, all Asians are so good at math and science or Asians are super well-behaved and hardworking. Um, It's often used to kind of um, as a benchmark against which other groups are gauged. So it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, the Asians are doing really well. So why can't these other groups do do well? And it's it's really complicated. Um, you know, on the surface, these are good things, right? Like who doesn't want to be told like, oh, you're really good at school or your parents care about education more than other parents. But when you start to peel back the layers, you recognize all the detriments of this so-called positive stereotype, both on individuals and um, other groups of young people and people as a whole as well. And so what, when you're thinking about some of the ramifications like the, mm. the harms that can happen from the model minority myth and like what what are things do you see that permeate within a within a school setting yeah so you are a math educator so this is great yes. I can talk mm-hmm. transparently about my own journey yeah, yeah. with high school math um, which is that I didn't really like high school math <laughs> I was I know I was uh in English I loved English I loved history um I went to a math and science magnet school mm-hmm in Virginia. And so, you know, on the surface, I should have been like excellent in, you know, math and science subjects. Um, Reality is I got into that school because I had an excellent score on the writing and reading portion of the entrance exam Mm -hmm. was maybe like 50th percentile on the math one. Um, In one of my, I think my junior year math classes, I had this teacher come up to me once and I had like maybe a B, B minus in his class. And he's like, Sarah, I really would expect more from someone like you. And Mm. I, it just hit, sometimes you just hear it in a way where I was like, 
someone like me, I have never done well in this person's class before. What is he talking about? And then kind of looking around at who else is in my classroom, who else is high achieving and realizing that I look like the stereotype of the kids who are going to have, you know, an A in that class. And because of, because this was a magnet school, I was actually one of the only upperclassmen in this math class. They were mostly like, you know, freshmen and sophomores in this class with me. And, um, that was really, that was really frustrating because what I came to learn later on was actually this teacher had like extra tutoring opportunities that he was hosting at lunch and after school that I didn't know about that other kids knew about. And, you know, I don't think this was coming from any place of malice or harmful intent, but I think there is an assumption sometimes that a kid who doesn't match this little perceived box of who they are or what they should be good at, if they're not doing well, then maybe there's something just lazy about them Mm. or like inherently deficient versus maybe they just need help, which isn't to say that I'm a a poor mathematics student. Um, Later in college, I was like, no, I'm going to prove it to myself. I'm going to take these classes and do as well as I can. But I realized that, um, you know, sometimes if we're not really seeing who the kids are for themselves, they're not going to get to that place of trying to figure out how to make it work for themselves. They're just going to write it off. And that's what I did. I just started skipping his class all the time. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. (laughs) I just stopped going. And I, you know, I would just like uh, turn in my homework super late. I'd wait until my friends got their homework back graded and just copy it and then turn it in. And I would take the ding on points for having it late, but I'd get a hundred percent because it would be, you know, copied off of their correct homework. And that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's all because of that feeling of like, well, it doesn't really matter what I do because he doesn't like know anything about me or see anything about me. And that plays out in schools and classrooms all over the country where kids who don't feel like they are being seen for who they are, they just throw their hands up and they're like, well, I might as well just, you know, F off and do whatever I'd rather be yeah. doing anyway. Yeah. What's that, is it, I mean, what, and I, I guess having that, that experience, is it almost like someone sees their, they're not really seeing you. They're just, they're just seeing like, well, the cover of a book, they're, they're just seeing the color. Yeah. They're, just, they're not actually, you know, they're not seeing who you are. And, and then, and then all of a sudden you're not getting access to resources and, and things that could have, you could have used to enhance your relationship with mathematics. Right. Exactly. There's that famous Time Magazine article from, I think, 1987. And it's like those East, those Asian American whiz kids. And it's got these like smiling mm-hmm. East Asian kids and they've got textbooks and a computer and that is the predominant stereotype. And it continues, um, you know, I was, one of my kids was watching Disney Channel recently and I walked through and there's like this nerdy Asian girl with her violin and a stack of books. And I'm like, really, we're still doing this? Because that has, that has led to significant documented mental health issues for many Asian American students um, who don't feel like they fit that perceived little box. So that's one of the the big ways that it shows up in school, but it's also difficult because it creates um, kind of differences and assumptions about then what these kids are capable of or what role they should play. So an example I give is around leadership. Mm -hmm. We often see that Asian students are sort of underrated in their leadership competency capabilities um, and overrated in like 
good at following rules or organized. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that links to some of these stereotypes. So we will rarely see Asian students who are being asked to like, you know, lead a brand new initiative or run the club. Um, But they're very often like the secretary in the club. And that leads not just from school, but all the way into the workplace. So Asian Americans are overrepresented in like individual contributor roles across industries. You know, there are more Asian Americans in white collar jobs kind of at the the entry level and slightly above that than their representation in the general population. But they're the least likely group to hold that senior leadership position. Wow. And we don't we don't usually know that. Actually, a survey that came out last year um, asked Americans, you know, their perceptions on this issue. And most Americans think that Asians are fairly or are overrepresented in senior leadership Mm -hmm. when it's the exact opposite. And that plays out in the classroom. So teachers are like, oh, these kids are fine. They're good at school. They're going to be successful. I don't need to make sure that I create, you know, a leadership related role for them in my classroom, or I don't need to figure out if they can be charismatic and visionary and, you know, run the class play um, because, that it's just like doesn't cross our mind sometimes if we're trapped again in these like stereotypical ways of thinking. Yeah, so, so the need to to push against those things and be active, actively, actively questioning them and yeah. those in play. That's right. A, wow, you can like kind of. I love that you throw in some of these stats out there. Like, there's a a, a study, a, a, a kind of a famous study that's done a lot in in my world where it's draw there's draw a scientist draw a mathematician Mm. and then it kind of brings out like who are you imagining are the mathematicians so i'll do it a lot of times with my um elementary math methods class and so they're drawing mathematicians and sometimes they look like me with i'm not wearing my glasses but some with glasses and kind of hair stuck up or like uh or like einstein and stuff like that but then you know it's like it, those pictures aren't representative of who's actually in the class and thinking about, right. are we seeing ourselves as doers of mathematics? And because the people that I'm looking at are going to be the instructional leaders in classrooms. And are you seeing yourselves as a doer of mathematics? And, um, and I, I will say that that I've done it for a while and that that is getting better, but even thinking about it from the other side of what you're talking about, who's a leader, right? Who's a, like drawing, who's a leader or drawing who right. like, what are these things that we're imagining in our heads? And those are, those become places to push on like, Oh, what are some assumptions that I'm making about who, right. who are in these roles? Right. Yeah, that's, that's huge. A lot of it comes down to, you know, invisibility and representation. Mm. Um, I ask people a lot if I do workshops, especially about Asian inclusion or Asian mm-hmm. issues, I ask people, you know, um, what did you learn about Asian people when you were in school? And the answer is usually like, not much, (laughs) you know, maybe ancient China, maybe like, oh, in middle school, we talked about Japanese internment for half a day. You know, sometimes people will be like "Mm, railroads, right? But that's like about the extent of it. And that is, that's hugely problematic because, you know, Asian people have been in this country for centuries um, and lots of different types of Asian people have been in this country for a very long time and done lots of different types of work. But if we don't, if we don't see that at all, all of those, um, yeah, like the prevailing ideas, like who would we draw as a leader or who would we draw as a mathematician? All of that just fills in the gaps instead. That same study that I referenced earlier about leadership, they asked Americans to name a famous Asian American. And the number one answer was, I don't know. 
um, which was came in at 42%. And then the next highest was Jackie Chan, who, you know, is not actually American. He's from Hong Kong. And then the next answer was Bruce Lee, who has not been alive for quite a number of years at this point. So just thinking about like, wow, if that is if that's all we have in our like popular imagination for who Asian people are, who Asian kids are, it's either I don't know or two martial artists, then how are we going to accurately create space for them to be all of who they might be in our classrooms and in our schools? Yeah. So, that, I mean, well, I guess that this goes right into to action. So um, part of this is about, you know, if we just go with the flow of where we're at, what, like you just said, like there's, well, that's not, we can't do that. We just can't do that because we've seen the results of that. Right. And so what are the actions uh, to take? Cause this is an active thing. Teaching is active. Yeah. We're making decisions. We're, we're making moves and decisions every single day on what we do with our students. And so what are some things that we can do to incorporate into those actions on to combat the model minority myth? Yeah, I I think first, it's the same advice that we give teachers about just teaching in general, which is get to know our kids, right? Right. We have to get to know who they actually are, what they care about, what they're interested in, um, you know, and both provide a lot of support and a lot of push at the same time. That's when kids thrive. That goes right into, you know, the foundations of restorative practices, even, Mm -hmm. right? That high support, high accountability. But it, it is true. The people who had the most, if we reflect back as adults, you know, who had the strongest influence on your young life, you're likely going to pick someone who both had your back and pushed you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't do that if we don't know who our kids are. We don't know what it means for that person to feel support. And we don't know what it is that they want to be pushed towards or what, you know, back to that metaphor of the house, what are the walls that they can lean on to be strong while we're pushing them to grow in another area? One big piece um, for me that I've, I've become increasingly aware of and focused on with the model minority myth is the way that it affects other kids too, though, the way it affects mm-hmm. non-Asian students and particularly students of other minoritized racial backgrounds, because it is used as this like, oh, the Asian kids are going to be great. Why can't you do well as well? Um, you know, the, the stereotype, right? Like Asian parents care the most about education. Definitionally in that sentence, somebody, that means somebody else does not care. If you're saying these parents care the most, that means that you're saying like all these other people don't care. Mm -hmm. And that's really harmful because we know that parents want the best for their kids. And yet we're like upholding a quote unquote positive stereotype that affirms negative stereotypes about other groups. So it's not just kind of ending the model minority myth for the sake of the Asian kids in our class. It's also for the sake of everyone and starting to be aware of how there really is no such thing as a good stereotype. So even when we have positive biases in our classrooms, we are still harming others. Um, To take it out of race for a second, I think about gender. Oftentimes, if I'm doing classroom observations, who is the kid who's being asked to go to the office to run errands? It's usually a girl. And, um, you know, because there's the sense like they're more responsible, they're not going to go play and get in trouble along the way. And I'll, I'll talk to teachers who get really frustrated. They're like, why are my boys so irresponsible? Why can't I trust them to do anything? 
And it's like, well, you've never asked them to. So, you know, they don't, they don't have practice. They don't know how, you know, so this positive quote unquote positive stereotype about your, you know, female identifying students is causing you to put your male identifying students at a disadvantage. So there's always a flip side negative to any quote unquote positive, um, stereotype. And I think as we bring awareness to that, that also helps us see more urgency in recognizing where we might be doing this in our practice and places to kind of take that apart. Well, and it's almost like it's weaponizing it almost like yeah. we're going to make it into a place. Yeah, again, someone's up, someone's going to be down. Right. And yeah. also too, like, and I just had this called out uh, in me at a conference recently where we were working in some groups and we're going to brainstorm on some topic on good old math teacher education stuff must've been exciting. And where like, we're going to start writing on some whiteboard and, and it was, it was called out like, Hey, guess what? Usually who, who is going to be writing on the board? It's, it's usually not, not the men, not the men in those cases, right. especially in an education set. And so like, it's called out like, Hey, who's picking up the pen? And, you know, and I thought to myself, well, you know, my handwriting is not that great on these things. Well, just like you're saying, like, how do you make your handwriting better? You got to practice a little bit, right? You got to right. try. And so, Having and, and you think about that's those are just two you know two instances, but how many other things exist in our space where if we flip our sensor on and start thinking like well what, what how are stereotypes in action around here because if we're not active against them they're filling it like you said filling in the gaps around us and so yeah I like that no good stereotypes so, yeah so. one thing that's um, happening right now which is depressing and um, also real is how this, because you use the word weaponized, how this Mm -hmm. model minority stereotype has also been weaponized against sort of the real, um, also negative stereotypes that exist about Asian people. So we are seeing upticks in, you know, acts of hatred, bias, sometimes physical violence in many Asian communities and particularly East Asian communities in the country. Mm -hmm. And that has correlated with the pandemic. Um, And actually last week, a new report came out saying that more Americans blame Asian people for COVID now than they did in 2020. So that trend is sort of continuing to move forward and that's affecting kids at school. So I've talked to lots of parents who are sharing stories of like, the kids won't play with my child anymore. They're, you know, they say like, you're going to get us sick or they won't, you know, they make fun of their food more. It's like, oh, your food is what made everyone sick. And that is real and it's happening. And yet, because the predominant stereotype is still this like successful math nerds, whatever thing, mm-hmm. it's been a lot harder for some of these families and children to advocate for themselves because it kind of gets brushed off. It's like, what are you complaining about? Like, you all are doing fine. You all are successful. You all know how to do with this. Like, it's almost hard for them to advocate because there's also part of that stereotype that they're like meek and know their place and don't want to make waves. And so if they do start to raise an issue, it's like, oh, they just must be troublemakers. Um, so it's making it harder to advocate for the the real harms that are also happening. Um, and it's weird that these are like the two coexisting stereotypes yeah. that exi- like right. exist at the same time. I can't quite wrap my head around that yet, but it's definitely something that um, lots of us are seeing playing out in schools at the moment. Wow. I mean, so it goes back to like the the beginning we talked about in, inclusion and belonging. And yeah. so, you know, and, and even thinking about holistically as a child, like success 
if someone's achieving success in the classroom, it doesn't mean that there's not success in other areas where the social, emotional aspect of things and which that's, yeah. So I wonder about that too. So like, there's even, you know, backlash now against social, emotional learning. I mean, you know, the kinds of, the kinds of concerns that you're, you're bringing up here, like, like having that as part of our, our classrooms, which Mississippi, we have social, emotional learning standards, which it's great. Um, but like in other spaces, like those are being attacked as, as well. And so even to think like some of the tools you have in your toolbox to combat some of these things are being taken away. I, I, I don't know. That just came out. What if you have yeah. anything to say about that? Uh, that's something I'm still trying to wrap my head around because, you know, at the end of the day, what we want is for school to be a place where all kids can be successful. And I yeah. don't see the threat in that. Mm-hmm. But there, I think, I do think that the kind of coming for social emotional learning, I do think that that's happening in bad faith. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. at least from my personal point of view, because I, can't, I really can't, yeah. yeah, I can't wrap my head around like who doesn't want kids to be like socially, socially and emotionally well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's been wrapped up with the like, quote unquote, critical race theory stuff. And it's been wrapped up with like divisive concepts when I think that that um, underestimates the intelligence of the people who live in this country. Like we, we have to stop thinking that acknowledging difference is in and of itself divisive, right? Like that to me, just like, I think that we are all capable of recognizing that we can be different and get along. And actually by acknowledging and celebrating our differences, that's the only way we will actually see each other and be able to get along and not that naming or acknowledging difference is like somehow inherently bad or harmful. It really, it really isn't and shouldn't be. Yeah. I I just put an exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I did want to, and again, I appreciate your time. So I did want to touch on one other thing that I saw on your website and then also it was on, I believe the teaching tolerance website you published something in the fall about solidarity mm-hmm. and like um and thinking about the power of solidarity and, and I, I can't think of a better time than now we need more solidarity than ever but i don't know if maybe you're talking to me about the power and maybe even the complexity of solidarity and and and, ma- and making a difference making a change taking steps forward in in what we're trying to do as, as teachers Yeah, I think solidarity is a beautiful concept. It's something that, you know, very few people disagree with. And it's also one of those things that is harder to practice Mm -hmm. than it is to say, I believe in, right? It's not just like a nice word. We don't just like show up with a, you know, fancy poster at a rally and then we're like, okay, I did my solidarity. That does matter. Don't get me wrong. Like it actually does have a lot of power when we see, you know, photos of social justice movements that look diverse like that does have more power to shift things. And if it just feels like the, whatever the aggrieved party is in that moment are the ones who are showing up. Um, But solidarity is both like noticing and naming and recognizing that we all have a huge range of identities and backgrounds and experiences and histories and personalities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that our freedom, our futures, all of these things are actively tied up with one another. You know, it's that old quote, and Dr. King says this too, like no one is free until we are all free. Um, Which is so, it's so real. My struggle might be different from your struggle, but that doesn't mean that they are not linked to one another's. 
Um, in the, the classroom, you know, I think a lot about how if we have that mentality of like, well, let me just like send those, those five kids out in the hallway so I can teach everyone else. Um, I get where that comes from. I have been that frustrated teacher who is like, oh my gosh, just get them out of my room. Like we need to move forward and go forward. And yet that um, permanently excludes a group of people. And we see, you know, similar trends and who that group is, who is usually sent out. It's usually, it's related to social class, to gender, to race, to all of these other factors. Um, and also sends a message to the kids who stay in the room that it's okay to do that, that right. it is okay to write off your peers. It's okay to exclude. And, um, that is harmful for the kids who stay in the room too. It's not just harmful for the kids who are out. It's harmful for everyone. So you asked about solidarity. What does solidarity take? Um, a lot of it is just listening and being okay with like, you know what? I might not understand or relate to whatever your experience is that you're telling me about, but I trust that you know about the experience that you're telling me about. And I, you know, let me know how I can be there for you. Um, the, you know, last year was really tough in the Asian American community for many people, especially for Asian women like myself, the killings that happened in Atlanta um, last year were really, really hard to deal with. And I, I keep reflecting on um what it felt like for people from lots of different backgrounds to reach out afterwards and just check in and be like, Hey, you know, this thing happened. You're probably hurting. I don't really know what it's like, but I want to hold that with you. I mean, that sentiment of like, I don't really know what it's like, but I want to learn more and I want to help hold that with you. That can go such a long way. We all want what's best for all of our students. I really do believe that as educators. I like we don't go into education to become millionaires, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> we, so we go in for like good, you know, reasons related to wanting the future to be better for young people. And we have to recognize that for some of those young people, their their stories, their experiences will be different from our own. And um, we might not understand what they're looking for or asking for, but we can certainly try to understand better. And we can also help to hold that with them so that they can thrive in whatever way thriving looks like for them, for their families and communities and so on. I like that. I'm just, it's almost, I want to say like actively passive, but I mean, it's getting in the space and, and saying like, I am here, but like, I'm not going to say like, well, I have all the solutions and here they yeah. are for you, but like being in that space and saying we're here and, and I'm willing to learn and, and, and give, provide what, what is needed in this space. Um, we recently, as a, the school of ed, for the first time we walked in the uh, pride parade that was, mm. uh, went around the square here in Oxford, Mississippi. And it was the first time at the whole school was represented. And it wasn't like we were saying like, Hey, we've got the audience. Cause we don't, <laughs> um, but it was like saying we're, we're here. And then getting a chance to, to learn and listen and, and be like, and as teachers and as a teachers of teachers, like we need to be, we need to be, in the, we are in this space. We need to be in this space. Right. So we need to, we need to learn and, and figure out how we can be better in this space and be present. And so like there's having, having that, uh, just love that idea of like 
we don't have to have all the answers. I think a lot of times teachers, we want to have the answers, yeah. <laughs> you know? but we don't have to all, all the answers to, in order to express that, that idea of solidarity. Yeah. It's sort of bringing it back to the model minority myth. Some of the good, like stereotypes that pop up about Asian kids in the classroom. Um, even let's say like kids who make comments. So it'll, it'll happen. They'll be like, Oh my gosh, like, of course they have an A in math, like they're Asian or like, I don't want to work with them on this because mm. you know, they're going to get me sick or whatever it is that happens in the classroom. Oftentimes, and I'll speak for myself yeah. also as educators, we want to like come down hard on the kid who said the thing that was hurtful. Um, and yes, we want to address it, but if we don't provide the rationale for why that was hurtful, then really all they've learned is like, oh, don't say this in front of Miss So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so. Right. What they've internalized is like, But say know, it over there. Is yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. Say it over there is fine. Like, just don't say it in front of me. Yeah. And we then forget about the needs of the kid who like had the thing said about them mm. and all the other kids who heard what happened as well. Um, I think a lot about a metaphor of, let's say you witness an accident between a car and a bicycle. When that happens, you know, you don't run to the person driving the car to start yelling at them. <laughs> you go to the person on the bicycle to make sure right. they're okay. And as an educator, if we can start orienting more towards those, you know, metaphorical bike riders, the kids who are often the least centered, who are often the most bullied or targeted, um, we will create a safer space for everybody. You know, some people will say like, oh, this inclusion work, it's just like political and it's indoctrinating. And I say, no, I'd say like, we are not trying to put anyone else down, but rather we want all kids to be proud of who they are, not at the expense of anybody else. And if that can be true for everyone, then everyone does better. Um, rather than, you know, saying, well, we're going to just center this one group and like everyone else should just come along and be fine. Because in that case, all we're doing is like letting the car drivers just go around hitting bicycles willy nilly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's going to that's going to hurt all of us in the end. Right. And that's a great metaphor, the, the bicycle metaphor. I, I heard Danny Martin um, from the University of Illinois at Chicago would talk about violence in the classroom. And like that, yeah. that would be, you'd, if you think of it as violent, like you think about we need to you know, you need to take care of if someone is a victim of violence, which, you know, that is who you need to take care of. And then, right. and yes, there's consequences, but yeah, yeah, run, run over the car. Do you know what you just did versus that, that person needs help? So right, that's good. Um, you, you just, I don't know. I, I <laughs> Do we go I, all over the place and I ramble too much? No, no, this is great. <laughs> I'm like, well, I know I'm just going to say it again, like you've got lots of great things on your website and again, just even the insights and just around the model minority myth and some of the things that I'm thinking about and processing and how do I respond to that in the classroom, know that you've got a lot of other folks that are doing that. I, I would, here's what I would suggest people do is go to your website, go to the, the different uh, things that you've written there and they can look at some of those things and, and have a good conversation around, around what they're reading and what they're listening and thinking about how they're incorporating that practice. But you also have some other opportunities too on there for, for learning. I think you're doing some things with LinkedIn and whatever. There's yeah. all sorts of cool things. I don't know if you want to take a little, get, I'm hand, I'll hand over the floor to you. And so you can sure. plug away. Things. Yeah, plug um, away. <laughs> I have a couple of courses on LinkedIn Learning, and if you're not a LinkedIn Learning subscriber, if it is still May when this comes out, 
then you should be able to access um, one of the courses for free. Um, mm -hmm. LinkedIn has made understanding and supporting Asian employees open to the public for the month of May in honor of AAPI Heritage Month. Beautiful. And that gets, it focuses more on sort of the adult facing version of these stereotypes and, and things in the workplace, but I think it, it completely relates to classroom as well, because basically the same things that make adults thrive in the workplace are the things that make children thrive in schools. Um, and it's very fluid between the two. I have another one that's also um, develop your interpersonal skills for inclusive workplaces. So again, focusing on inclusion and kind of the little ways that we can all contribute to creating more inclusion in basically every interaction that we have. So things like moving from judgment to curiosity, dealing with disagreement, seeing that disagreement in and of itself doesn't have to be a bad thing, but you know there are ways to disagree in good faith mm -hmm. um, that can help. And actually a lot of that comes from what I learned as a classroom teacher, things like accountable talk. That's right. so I wish that all adults had just like had a teacher who taught them how to say, you know, I disagree with Joel because blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it right. would really make like a more productive like world that we lived in today. Right. Um, what else? I am working on a book that's slated to come out late next year, hopefully. It is for middle grades, um, and it is about Chinese-American history, nice. um, focused on concepts of both exclusion and belonging. So again, we're trying to fill in some of those erasures and invisibility that have historically happened around these communities and trying to provide more windows and mirrors for kids to explore various stories and identities. So yeah, those are just some of the things that I have going on. I appreciate you taking the time to let me share this. Nice. Well, that sounds like maybe when that book comes out, another invitation to come back on the podcast. Uh, I would the love podcast. it. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and again, no, thank you again for your taking the time to to talk with with me. I appreciate it. I know that others uh, have appreciated your work too. And and it was so when I said I was going to be talking with you, they were like, oh my goodness, that's she's so awesome. That's great. <laughs> and uh, and again, check out all the materials, check out everything. Uh it's pretty easy to to find your website. It's Sarah Sunling Blackburn, right? It's just yeah. SarahSunling.com. Oh, Sarah Sunling my first name is Sarah Sunling. As far as I know, I'm the only person in the world with that first name. So yeah, you'll find me on every platform at Sarah Sunling and also on the internet. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, there it is. Man, I'm still, still pondering some of the things. Like I, I love having these conversations where I get, and I talked about it last time, last week with a conversation with Rob Harvilla, this idea of like this cognitive shove, like this shove that where you, you start, you have a way that you've kind of understand and think about the world. And then you get these like kind of shoves to your brain and you kind of get off balance a little bit. And then you have to think, okay, how do I incorporate this new knowledge into what I do in, uh, in the classroom, how I interact with students. So just even the little metaphor about the, um, about, you know, it's a student says something in a classroom towards somebody and you're like, Ooh, I got to correct that student. Hey, we shouldn't say those things. But then think about it as like the bicycle and the car metaphor thing. Like, hey, you got to take care of the, the person that the, 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 the violence was toward that the comment was the person who it was toward, but not only that, but also the people around, like there's some, like some trauma that could exist there. And so, yes, we need to correct the person, but in uh, what they said and why they say it and teach them, not just say, don't do that. Just, but, but why, but then also to pay attention to the person it was said to and the people that were in observation of it. It's like, 
a holistic, just like how we want to think about the whole child, we need to think about the whole environment in which the, the teaching has happened. So thinking about a like classroom perspective or a community perspective. So again, great stuff, great stuff. So again, we're going to post all the links to, to what um, Sarah Suling mentioned in the episode. So again, there's that LinkedIn learning um, course that will be available So through the month of May. So you want to take advantage of that. Also a bunch of other resources there uh, on her website. It's it's great. It's kind of uh, kind of amazing all the things she's got going on, or the thing that she's or the things that she's uh, in work in progress as well. So again, we'll put all the links in there. So you go to amazonplanet.com forward slash episode seventy two. Find it there. You can also go to her website sarahsunling.com. That's s a r a h s o o n l i n g dot com. All right. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the podcast, uh, you can subscribe, rate, and review. You can also share the podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, somewhere there's probably a little box with an arrow out there. If you think, hey, someone needs to hear some of this brilliance from Sarah Suling, go ahead and share it. And hit that little square with the arrow button, and you can send this via text or email or whatever. And so someone can take a listen to the podcast. And that's what we want to do. We want to share. We want to help everyone get better in their teaching again and how we think of teaching not necessarily professional educators but anyone that's trying to influence someone's relationship with content so that could be a parent that could be a pastor that could be um a neighbor whatever a family member whatever you're doing so so again if you want to support the podcast subscribe rate and review share you can also um subscribe to the amateur planet download uh, again we got a free professional development opportunity with sarah uh soon ling shared in the episode so we want to Hey, we'll share some of those things in the email list. And there's some other free professional development that's going on. So maybe as people's uh, years are ending, they're like, hmm, you know what? I want to think about learning on my own time sometime this summer. Great. So I'll share some opportunities that have, have popped up recently. So uh, we're going to do that. So if you want to go subscribe to the email list the, for the Amazon Planet download, you can go and check AmazonPlanet.com. There's many spots where there's a button to subscribe to the email list. Go ahead and do that. And we're going to send one out. I've said it. So we're going to put it out there. So there will be one in the very near future, maybe Monday. Okay. Um, you know, you can also uh, follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page if you want to support and hear about what's all that's going on on Amazon Planet. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet Bookshop. Links are in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. Finally, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Sarah Soonling Blackburn for sharing her time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.